Welcome to this episode of Pipeline Things. Again, I feel like every episode continues to get better. Thank you for the feedback on the audio issues. Miss Producer has continued to set the standard and improve there. This issue, we introduce another guest, The Hyphen. We leave, your, we leave you asking, do you have a dirt merchant working on your pipelines? And if not, why? No, but seriously, we get into issues around geohazards. Specifically, why is it that geohazards find operators rather than operators find the geohazards. In addition to that, Chris changes his name to Thing20Fun. You can be the judge of whether or not that makes sense or not. Come take a little ride with us. We have some fun. We learn a lot about geohazards and we appreciate your support of the show. Welcome to this Wednesday's episode of Pipeline Things. I am your host, Thing20, otherwise known as Rhett Dotson. Not greater in prominence, but greater in stature than my co-host, Thing21, Mr. Christopher DeLeon. 21, let's be clear. 21. 20, 20 fun. And is everyone uh, maybe 20, 20 fun, fun goes I oh, love that. So 20 good. fun. You're 20, I'm 20 oh, fun. I feel like you just co-opted an opportunity <laughs> from me that I didn't see coming. That was well done. That was a 20, good shot. 20 fun. Wow. Well, uh, me and 20 fun are coming to you today from the Met Lab here at ADV Integrity. As you'll notice, we're going to be bouncing around if you're a viewer and you're watching online. We're going to be bouncing around between various places. And you'll notice again on this episode... There is a third empty chair uh, between Christopher and I. So more fun to come. I don't want to get there yet, but I always like to open up Chris and just ask, man, how are you doing? What's going on in life? You know, um, springtime's around the corner. Um, looking forward to spring break this year. We're not going anywhere. So we, again, back to my love for the rodeo season, we will be spending mm. a couple of days at the rodeo with the kiddos. So they have a great carnival. Get the carnival fun packs. Before it starts, fifty percent off if you is can. This, are you selling carnival? Are you selling rodeo stuff? On the I, I'm not. I, I don't. I don't. This I'm is not, not a free rodeo marketing thing. Look, if you're if you're even around Houston, you need to come to Houston Livestock Show. It's rodeo. actually true. It's good. It's, good it's fantastic. It All is. the fried food is amazing. But what about you? you? Can get everything fried. You know, what's so up with I the spring? What my spring break shapes up like is we have to get the yard in shape. I'm one of the few people out there who still cuts my own grass. Uh, mainly because I want my son to have to grow up and do it. It's something like, you know, I suffered through it. So I feel like he needs to suffer through it. Mm. And um, in getting the yard ready, I don't, Chris, it's amazing, right? You go through the winter, mm. I go to the spring, and I'm like, there's a hole in my backyard. I'm like, how does a hole open up in my backyard? I know. Or the ground was not this uneven last year, and I'm trying to ride over the mower, and I'm like, go, 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 and I'm bouncing around all over in the mower, and I'm like, What's going on? Like, I, this is, I, it's I can flat. Relate. I can relate. You can relate. I, I wake up sometimes and I go out and just do a nice little walk in the backyard and I have all these Trip. little holes. Yeah, I have all these little holes. And what is it? Armadillos. You armadillos. I have an armadillo problem, really. And so, you got to be careful with them. They're hazardous. I didn't know. I don't. It's a great way to get think leprosy. I have armadillos, in my, but I know my dad did. He caught like fifteen of them underneath his deck in Magnolia. <laughs> You know, but it always makes me worried about like foundation issues on my house. Because okay. did you, you ever own a house that had foundation issues? Thanks to God, not yet. Oh, uh, so like I go out and I have a house, like the door in the garage likes to stick. And the kids mm. are like, Dad, the door's locked. I'm like, the door's mm. not locked. You just need to put your shoulder into it to get it to open. And I feel like, why is the soil always moving in Houston? Mm. The rain. Whenever The rain. Yeah, but it's flat, right? Like, mm. I feel like you should, but it's clay. I get it. I know. Look, I had one... Yeah. Geotechnical course 
in college and all I learned is to be afraid of dirt. We called it like fear of dirt. That was the label of the course. And it's funny now that I'm in the pipeline industry, people are like, it doesn't matter which job I've had. When I worked at my first consulting gig, they were like, oh, you're civil. We have this problem about dirt. Can you help us? And I'm like, what? No. Then I go to Rose and they're like, oh, you are civil. You must know something about pipelines and pipe soil interaction. And I'm like, well, I mean, yeah. because of the exposure I've got. But the truth yeah. is, it's, it's amazing to me how much the soil everywhere moves, right? And yeah. we know that has an influence on our pipelines. And the integrity of our pipelines. And the integrity of our pipelines, which brings us to our special guest today, because people like to think I'm an expert, and I know a little bit about pipe soil interaction, mm -hmm. but not as much as the guy that's gonna talk about it today, nor do I have as much experience. So I think it's time to bring on our guest, who is, you wanna introduce me? No, no, you know. I got it? Yeah. Mr. Alex McKenzie Johnson oh, is gonna be joining us today. Alex, come on, this is your chair here in the middle. And so, I think 20, uh, I'll shake your hand too. So, Alex McKenzie Johnson is gonna introduce himself, but comes to us from Geosyntech. We've been close friends actually for a while now. I met him when I was at my uh, former employer, probably five or six years ago. Uh, but Alex, tell us a little bit. Tell the audience, who is Alex? Who did we bring on the show today? What mistake did we make? <laughs> Well, first off, Red, I'm just a great segue. You definitely need a geologist, and I, I am a at geologist. My house. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you when you want to look at homes, geologist, good idea. But uh, yeah, wait, I'm, aren't I'm those rock geologists? I thought those were rock jocks, not realtors. Well, you know, I kind of call myself a dirt merchant. You know, that's what I'm doing is, uh, you know, dealing with dirt. A dirt so, merchant. Uh, and that's been pretty much my career for the last uh, 20 plus years. Um, we'll write that one you know. down. Dirt merchant. Dirt merchant. That's gonna, that is gonna work. Next time somebody calls me, they tell me they've got a pipe soil interaction or a landslide problem. I'm gonna be like, have you talked to a dirt merchant? <laughs> That's, I mean, that's that's what that's what we do a lot of it. So, uh, you know, I got into geology in college. I took a, I was actually a political science major mm. and thought I was going to do like politics or or law. And I took a rocks for jocks, yeah, you know, geology one one course, and I loved it. And, and I switched my major to that, and I kind of, you know, figured the career stuff would work out, and it did. Um, and then when I went and got my uh, master's, I worked on it. Big, huge, deep-seated landslide mm. project. I mean, it's just muddy and you know uneven, but super fun to to map it out. And I got really lucky, and that's kind of where my career revolved around landslides. And then pipelines came into the mix, and um, you've know, been doing that. And I took a little bit of a, a segue from consulting to go work for Kinder Morgan. Okay. For about uh, you know a little bit four and a half years. And that's where I met you, right? Yep. I met you when you were Kinder Morgan. Yep. Yep. So at the time, I was doing a lot of consulting for Kinder Morgan. They'd had a a landslide If you're in the audience and you're wondering, Chris just dropped a song. I don't know what that com probably comes through like a, who knows, like a gunshot. Hand grenade. Hand grenade on the show, but that was Chris's phone thing for. So, uh, and kind of, you know, going into the topic of the show, uh, Kendra Morgan had, had a, a landslide caused rupture in Ohio, and mm. uh, I was doing a lot of work for them at the time, and they said, you know what, we need to have a formal in-house geohouse program, and um, asked me if I wanted to set it up, so I packed the family from Seattle, just where I was living at the time, and moved to Texas. And um, for the topography, up, right? And uh, the it's a little, a little flatter, a little hotter here, but uh, otherwise, it's you know, <laughs> just just like Seattle. Just uh, like Seattle. <laughs> so I have to ask. Uh -huh. 
So, um, how did how did your wife convince you to hyphenate your name with her last name? Because I see it's knock, knock. I see it's Mackenzie wow. Johnson. Yeah, that's wow. Fun. So I know this is a very relevant topic for a topic for and our, our young now wondering whether he came on the correct show or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's it's not quite that. It's a common common mistake. You know, over the years, I've been called uh, Ms. Mackenzie Johnson. And, you know, I get people all the time you know, because they see that hyphenated name. But the uh, the real story it was the '70s. Yeah, you know, my parents were kind of hippies, and my mom <laughs> kept her name, and obviously my dad had his name. And when my sister and I were born, they said, "Well, we'll just kind of hyphenate their names." It's you know, it's what the the English do, right? All the you know, fancy people. The, in the Mexicans too. Yeah. They just don't use the hyphen. Yeah. 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 Okay. So this this makes sense. I get it. Okay. Well, that's okay. Cool. Yeah. Then a few years later, they got divorced, <laughs> and uh, you know, and I was like, well, this hyphenated name is kind of a pain, but if I pick one, I'm picking mom or I'm picking dad, so I got to keep both of them. So yeah, that would be. That's awesome. why I'm still hyphenated. So did your wife hyphenate her name? No. No. She has this completely separate name, which makes it even more fun for her kids. <laughs> So I'm, okay, <laughs> I'm since we're gonna go here is we've had you know again I, I do want to, you made the right choice. Futch said that before the show he had a career and then after the show there was an upward trajectory to his career. We're confident you will experience the same boom here, <laughs> right? It's before and after, and we have the Futch factor, and now we have the hyphen dirt merchant. Is that what? Hyphenated dirt merchant. Hyphen dirt merchant. I think I'm going to put out new business cards with that on it now. Yeah. We can help you with that. That would be great, right? Instead of, you know, whatever your professional title is, it's AKA Dirt Merchant. You know, he's Thing 20, I'm Thing 20 Fun. You're and today we have the Dirt Merchant. Okay. Yeah. Back, to back around for yeah, the audience, right? So I really like you've operator experience and consulting experience. That's a, um, that is a unique combination, a very powerful combination mm-hmm. in our industry. Uh, we, uh, we like to run through. So, Tell me, you've seen more than landslides, I'm hoping, in terms of threats on pipelines. Or have you only dealt with landslides? Well, I mean, the, the majority of my career has been around landslides. And there's a reason for that, which is that you know, if you look at geohazard incidents, about 80% are caused by landslides. Gotcha. Um, but we also do stuff like you know, rivers and um, seismic hazards and, and other geohazards like that. But if, you know, if, I was gonna, if I had to pick one geohazard that I was going to take care of, it would definitely be landslides. Well, Chris knows where I'm going. Have you seen bullets on a pipeline? We have to ask everybody on the show this now. The gold it's standard against. is whether or not you have seen bullets on a pipeline. It's pretty hard to see the bullets if you're being <laughs> shot at, right? I mean, you hear it, but you don't see it. Um, Wait, uh, you've been shot at? There well, are some areas where there's a lot of pipelines in, in, in more urban areas, inner city, you know, where there's infrastructure. So I could, I could see that. Yeah, I've definitely had rifles pointed at me. Uh, you know, I've had people... Uh, I think that you know, counts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been out working on and heard gunshots. You're like, well, is that someone hunting or is that someone trying to give me a warning to, <laughs> Private to get out of here? You know, trespassing. <laughs> we're gonna we're we're gonna say that that counts. Have you seen the yeah. effects of bullets on the pipeline, or maybe yeah. personally experienced the, the close relative of of, of being uh, the result of in bullets on the pipeline? We'll, we'll go with that. Yeah, I, I, I've never been actually shot, so there's that. So let's <laughs> let's 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 keep it that way. As a consultant, that you don't get shot, right? Um, okay, so let's bring it into uh, the real topic on today's show, yeah, which is definitely geohazards. We're going to cover that whole threat and get into it. Uh, one of the things that I've said before uh, many times uh, whenever I've talked about geohazards, and I'm curious what your opinions on it would be, is that unfortunately geohazards find operators before operators find the geohazard. Um, 
and I, got, I hope I didn't walk into something, but is, is that consistent with your experiences? Do you agree with that? Or? Oh, and, uh, absolutely. Every, every operator that has a credible geohazard program is the result of a major geohazard incident. And so there's, there's the before period where they weren't really, you know, geohazards weren't really on the radar. And then there's the, the after period where, you know, all of, unfortunately, all of a sudden they're having to do this huge ramp up and uh, trying very quickly to get caught up on, on managing geohazards. So why, why does it happen that way? Like, I feel like there's an awareness out there. A lot to, uh, almost every conference I go to has a geohazard track now. Yep. We've been talking about it actively, honestly, for about the last decade. I'd say uh, it's really picked up. Why do you think that's the case, Alex? Do you have an opinion on it? Yeah, I do actually. Um, you know, the, the last decade, that's a really good timeline. I think because kind of prior to about 2010, there was this idea that uh, geohazards were a um, uh, force mature type of event in active nature, right? Like you can't stop mother nature, something just happens. Exactly, something happens, you just got to get the line back in service, right? But um, you know, because of a combination of uh, new technologies, and I'd say a general societal regulatory shift, geohazards have achieved a much more, there's a lot more awareness around them, right? The idea that they just happen is no longer considered acceptable do, in terms of integrity management. Do you think it's an, um, let's go on this, on this track of assuming that a lot of the robust geohazards are plans or a result of failures. Do you feel like there's enough of an awareness now or there's still a general lack of awareness of what you just said, because I think that's important, right? Earlier you said the majority of incidents related to geohazards are landslides, about 80%, yep. right? So that's pretty significant. So you have something you can focus in on, yep. landslides, right? And you say that um, post 2010, so we're talking near 12 years now, so I mean, that's a long time. Do you feel like the awareness is out there at least that this is a legitimate, credible threat that needs to be incorporated into plans and needs to be monitored, assessed, and managed. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, like what we did at Kendall Morgan is, is we did that right. We, you know, in the span of about three years, we assessed and managed landslides for the entire natural gas system for Kendall Morgan, which is about sixty-five thousand miles of um, pipeline. So I think it is. It's really um, it needs to be part of integrity management plans going forward. If it's not part of it right now, it needs to be. So let's lean into that integrity management component a bit. So if we look at general regulations, um, there's a, a little bit more of an element of a, per, a performance nature to it. Yep. Not entirely, but you're beginning to see sprinkles of it is what I like to say. But there's still this heavy um, prescriptive component to it. Um, talk to us a little bit what you think about how regs maybe are encouraging or, or maybe lacking a bit in the encouraging side to addressing um, geohazards um, for for in, within integrity management. Yeah, I think I think the regulations, uh, particularly historically, although it's starting to shift, have been um, fully kind of light on geohazards, and it's you know it's understood that operators are supposed to manage their threats, but a lot of the other hazards like corrosion or some of the other main um, integrity hazards, it's very prescriptive mm -hmm. what the operators are expected to do. And because of that, a lot of integrity programs are structured around those prescriptive requirements where the performance-based requirements are left much more uh, vague and uh, they haven't received the same kind of attention. So the prescriptive nature makes me think of a little bit kind of like a how-to, mm -hmm. right? Not entirely, right? Because engineers, we like to operate in the gray or make gray and then operate in it. So, you know, it's pretty clear to say, hey, for corrosion, you'll do ECDA, ICDA, or PIG or HYDRA test, right? Yep. 
Whereas, so that's kind of like a how to an operator can lean into that. Yep. If it's lighter on the geohazard side, any, any tips or external references that operators can lean into, go to Google and say, here's a great starting point if you're interested in, you know, integrity management of geohazards. Well, I mean, not, not to pitch my own documents too much, but, yeah. uh, you know, a couple of years ago, um, I was the lead author on a document for INGA hmm. called uh, the Guidelines for Management of Landslide Hazards okay. for Pipelines, which does lay out the, the elements, uh, particularly around landslides, but many of the same aspects can be applied to other hazards okay. as, as well, right? So it lays out the, uh, the overall uh, structure to, to do that. I think that's great. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, in my personal experiences on the regs, right, is I feel like when you look at pre-updated gas rules, they were almost silent. I think the updated gas rule is really the first time that we see weather and outside forces, or WAF is what a lot of people are using. <laughs> Does that not, you don't like WAF? That don't WAF it up. <laughs> I don't you, know if that's what you, they intended, You WAF yeah. that one. <laughs> Oh, he yeah, okay. That's the first time you really see uh, the regs actually mentioning specifically operators have some requirements with regards to weather and outside forces. And they mention it, and they actually open the door to the use of inline inspection, specifically um, IMU-based tools mm. and caliper-based tools in the assistance of managing that threat. Mm. Um, and I think that that's big. I think, I think we're seeing an awareness. I, I think we say 10 years, but I think the reality is 10 years isn't all that long in pipeline life. Yeah. Let's be real, right? I mean... We've only really, the advent of IMPs began in 2001, 2, 3, you know, in, in corrosion management via ILI, going back to the 70s as we've mm -hmm. talked about. So 10 years is not all that long, especially in the span of pipelines that have been around since the 50s. Um, but before we get into that, I do want to dive into that. I want to talk a little more about your experiences on specific geohazards and maybe why operators aren't always aware of that threat. But before we do, Ms. Producer signaling that we need to take a break. So we're going to take a short break and come right back. My name is Chris Alexander and I'm president and founder of ADV Integrity and we are the proud sponsors of the Pipeline Things podcast led by Rhett Dotson and Christopher DeLeon. In that podcast they're going to be talking about things like integrity management, uh, pretty much anything related to pipelines including regulations, technology and uh, anything that you would need to know. They're also going to be talking about current events. Um, for those of you that don't know anything about ADV Integrity, we're a consulting company. We do uh, full-scale testing. I'm actually here in the lab and really high-end engineering to serve the pipeline industry. And we would love to hear from you and really excited about being sponsors of the Pipeline Things podcast. All right, welcome back. Thanks, uh, me and Thing 20 Fun here with uh, the hyphenated dirt merchant. Uh, so in the first part of this series, you know, or this episode, we really, uh, Alex laid out for us the fact that, uh, you know, again, it really seems to be consistent that geohazards tend to find operators before operators find um, geohazards. And we talked a lot about the influence of regulations or maybe some of the silence of regulations on that point. Uh, what I want to do is I want to pick up when an operator hits a geohazard, uh, oftentimes it surprises them. And I think a lot of the feedback I get on why operators aren't building robust geohazard programs, just to be honest, is they're like, Rhett, all of my lines are in West Texas. I don't know if you've been out there, but it's flatter than Houston. Or Rhett, I've been managing this pipeline for 70 years. I've never had a geohazard event at all. Um, when you and I talk, can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, what would you, how, what would you respond to an operator who tells you something like that? You know, I've, I've worked on several 
uh, landslide caused rupture. So those pipes have been built in the, the 50s or 60s, and then the, the rupture didn't happen until the, the 2010s, right? And so uh, just because something's been there a long time, no guarantee that there are geohazards that could be affecting So absence of failure does not constitute success. <clears throat> exactly. And, and one of the reasons, that, and one of the things that's kind of a paradox is that when we think of a landslide, we tend to think of something we see on the uh, the five o'clock news, right? Like an entire mountainside just suddenly gives way. California mudslide, whole, exactly. whole thing going down. Exactly. But there's, there's a lot of parts of the country where these things, it's, it's moving ground, kind of like you're talking about your house, right? It's moving ground and that, that movement is, is really slow. You know, maybe you're talking like a foot or two or even inches a year, and you can imagine that pipe sitting there for 60, 70 years, and that movement, that ground is moving, 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 moving. It's not obvious at all. And then finally you get to that point where the... Well, it's funny. You say it's not obvious, but then the accumulation has got to be somewhat obvious, does it? Or am I wrong in that? I mean, one to two inches a year over 60 years, that would come up to 120 inches. That's 10 foot. That's no longer a small event. Right. And then I think that kind of segues into some of the big changes that have happened in the last 10 years. One of the big ones has been the advent of using the IMU tool for bending strain analysis, right? And so that's a really powerful tool for picking up those kind of slow, progressive movements that are affecting the pipes. The other one is uh, the advent of LiDAR technology, and that's a, a laser surveying technique, which um, in essence allows you to kind of strip off all the overlying vegetation. Mm -hmm. And you can see these landslide features that mm -hmm. a lot of times you can't even see it when you're walking around on the ground, but you can see it from the LiDAR. So those two tools, the LiDAR, IMU bending strain, allow you both to identify where those landslides are at and if it's already affected a pipeline and about how much that effect has been. Yeah, let's go back to, to the obvious component of this, mm -hmm. right? Let, let's talk about when you're on site. Can you give us an example of where to the untrained eye, maybe it wasn't obvious, right? Because we know our, our operators are prudent and they're, they're walking the right away, yeah. right? Um, are there, does it become obvious if you're trained or even when you're trained and you're walking the right away, it can still be pretty pretty difficult to identify some of these hazards? You know, if, if you know what you're looking for, you can you can see it, and but a, a lot of times all it really manifests is kind of uneven ground and maybe there's mm -hmm. um, you know some small cracks that start to appear, some trees that start to kind of Mm -hmm. lean over um but you know a lot of times you're, you've got this kind of narrow focus on the right-of-way and you're looking at features that extend well outside of the the right-of-way so it's hard to see what you're you're looking so at it, right? it sounds like trending is pretty important right it's not just like this discrete point of, have i walked the right-of-way and i saw this right it was so fine today yeah it's unlikely to detect the hazard right. if you're just looking at like a snapshot in time right that's more difficult than if you're trending it of some sort is what it sounds like yeah and i think it's it's having the context right the kind of you know if, if a pipeline patrol they're flying in the plane or you've got a yeah. guy walking on the right of way um they've got a narrow focus right yeah. and um a lot of times as geologists we're trained to kind of look at the bigger picture right so we're trying mm -hmm. to look off the right of way what are we seeing off the right of way um what does the lighter tell us you know what are other things that are going on do you um, are there issues where maybe like fence lines are being bent yeah. over, offset, right? So you're kind of trying to get all that evidence. It's kind of like a detective story, right? You're trying to get yeah. your clues to figure out what's happening. Do you see, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to try to go too far on a tangent, but I'm just curious because we don't know what, what we don't know, right? You know, we, we see Esri as an example, really leaning in to help, you know, make data available to, to operators to make mm -hmm. decisions, right? And they have tools like Survey123, right, where they're really trying to connect the guy in the field yep. with a, somewhere where somebody can do analytics. 
So I could see whether it's something like survey one, two, three, or a piece of paper. Um, do you have any comments around um, the current practice, not best practice, but practice on whether some of those activities are able to capture some of the things you need to be looking for, or are those still maybe more geared towards encroachment and HCA class type activities? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a little tough because if you're talking to a typical operator, you know, the field operations, they've got a lot of responsibilities. Yeah. It's not realistic to say we're going to make someone into a geologist. And so they can capture stuff that's really obvious, um, but you need to have that, that professional yeah. look at that system uh, because all it takes is just the one site that you overlook, right? And so that's, yeah. that's why having that, that comprehensive look at an entire pipeline system is so valuable because then you're operating from a position of knowledge rather than waiting for the incident to catch you, yeah. you're catching it before it happens to you. So I, I want to touch on the two tools you mentioned, right? Because I think we might have glossed over those and there's a lot of people, including my mom, that might be in the audience <laughs> that don't know what IMU and LIDAR are, right? And so I just want to get, you know, layman's terms, or WAF, right? But we had weather and outside forces, WAF, not waffle. No, um, wait, I, I just thought of something. You, the next time you go on site and you see a legitimate geohazard, mm -hmm. you have to say, what the WAF? <laughs> wow. Video, uh, yeah, de 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 definitely gonna work. <laughs> this is our this is our WAF expert here. Um, so on that though, let's talk, what I really like about the pairing of those is one looks at things outside the pipeline, yep. and one looks at things inside the pipeline, right? So IMU or inertial measurement unit is an option that all uh, operators have to incorporate with their ILI tools, right? And I'm gonna sit my high horse for a moment. Operators out there, if you're listening to this, if you are running inspection tools and choosing not to include an IMU on board. There's no good reason for doing that. Even if you're not going to do a bending strain assessment today, gather the data so that you have the option in the future. I, that's my personal recommendation. I think the value in what is being collected by that IMU onboard that ILI has you know potential significant value that's very difficult and can't be gathered historically if you mm -hmm. miss it. And, and a good point there actually is it's, it doesn't always have to be smart pigs, right? I yes, mean, to talk to your talk to your your service providers, whether it's cleaning pigs or, or ILI, and ask them what options you have. It's at least that way you know what can be enabled with an IMU and what can't. Absolutely. The second thing is is LIDAR, right? And so LIDAR is air, typically equipped on an aircraft, right? Goes, yep. it scans. I think it's important because you mentioned that that can handle foliage, right? And that can handle uh, right-of-ways that are going to have things on them like tall grass, That's brush, right. those types of mm -hmm. things. and. Um, one of the, in my experiences, what has happened sometimes is sinkholes, things like that can be very difficult to determine from a, a typical aerial inspection because of the foliage, but LIDAR has the ability to see through this, right? That, that's, that's absolutely right. And, and it's, um, it's been transformative for geology in general and, and particularly for pipeline geohazards. Um, you know, some of the earliest uses of LIDAR to identify fault lines around Seattle that mm. had, you know, had not previously been identified. Um, and so here's a tool that allows these subtle geologic features to be identified. Um, and it's particularly powerful in areas like the, the Appalachians, where you have very dense forests. You also have a lot of landslides, uh, Pacific Northwest, areas like that. Where So help yeah. us understand how to use them, if you can, a little bit, right? Sure. So again, I'm going back to the, I'm, a, I'm an integrity engineer. Mm -hmm. I'm responsible for 300 miles of pipe. Yep. And you know what? I'm, I, I like the podcast. I'm going to go look at your Inga document. Yep. How do I use ILI? How do I use LIDAR? Well, I think, I think you guys have hit on the, the ILI, right? You work with your ILI service provider to get that IMU bending strain. Um, LIDAR, I would partner with a, a geologist or 
geological engineer. Okay. And there's many companies that collect LiDAR. So you can go, you can send it out to bid, and you can usually get a pretty reasonable so it's accessible. LiDAR is accessible. It's, it's very accessible. And I think, you know, again, kind of going back to this 2010 time frame, the, the cost per mile for LiDAR mm -hmm. has significantly decreased. Like, you yeah. know, we kind of expect this with technology, right? Like, you look at what a flat screen TV cost <laughs> 20 years ago. Plasma. Versus, exactly, yeah. versus now, right? It's, it's a lot cheaper. Same thing is true for LiDAR. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go on a limb here, right? And mm -hmm. say, <clears throat> if I'm an integrity engineer and I have these two tools, when would I choose LiDAR versus when would I choose ILI? So I'm a hypothesizer a little bit, and you correct. Yep. Is it fair to say that it would be really beneficial to have LiDAR as like a baseline to understand what my topography is and what threats I may or may not have? Yep. And then part of an integrity plan is then to monitor and assess. So an example of where ILI could fit into that is we use ILI to then get like a, a more discrete or more pipeline specific, right? So the LiDAR tells me what's around the pipeline and the ILI gives you what is the pipeline. And now you monitor that asset between both ILI and LiDAR. I think, I think that's, that? that's, that's spot on, right? Okay. I think the, the LiDAR gives you the, the big picture perspective. Um, you can do it for entire pipeline systems sure. and get that really good baseline. The, the IMU helps you when you know you have some potential issues to assess what's been the effect on the, the pipeline and then over time to monitor those effects um, and see if they, they worsen. So I think, you know, that's, that's, I really like how you said, particularly with regards to, to, to ILI, right? So ILI, again, measures what's happening on the pipeline. Yep. And I think the strength of that is that you, it's, it's not arguable. It's either impacting the pipeline or not, but you don't necessarily know why, which is the real strength behind the LiDAR. Yeah. Uh, I think the weakness of using one or the other only is you might have something acting on the pipeline with from a, a bending strain perspective, but not know why. LiDAR, you may have something happening, but not know whether or not it's impacting the pipeline. When you put the two of those together, then I think you start to have the makings of what I'd say is a robust geohazard program and the frequency of the two of those can often be adjusted independently that's another story yep. and complimentary absolutely right so you're if you're bound by a regulatory inspection interval in imu because you don't want to put one in the pipeline sooner than that you're not bound by that with regards to lidar so i have i have to ask okay. i have to ask i know everyone uh -oh. is asking okay. i'm worried ready <laughs> what role does the dirt have Right, you're a dirt merchant, right? So I've got lidar. I understand yep. that what's going on around the pipeline. I've got IMU that tells me what's going on with the pipeline. What role does the dirt have? Well, I mean, uh, you know, if we're talking geohazards, we're talking about the surface, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm a geologist, and there's some geologists not looking at structures thousands of feet below the the surface, right? You talk to petroleum geologists; they're dealing with really deep. I'm just the very, very the tip skin. of the uh, skin of the epidermis. So, the so we're not at the dinosaur level yet. That's not where we're not, not at dinosaur level. We're just okay. looking at the very, very surface, right, right there. And so, you know, the the soil, the dirt, um, has a big bearing on you know what's the effect of the the landslide or other geohazard on the 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 pipeline. And um, now, what's kind of cool though is that. That, that interaction is really complex, right? Like mm. if you kind of look at different types of soil and how do they soil and pipe interact, that is a very complex science. But what's really neat about things like LIDAR and IMU bending strain is that to some degree it takes, that, takes away that complexity, right? Because mm. the LIDAR says, hey, I can see there's a landslide that's here. I don't have to know all the underlying soil properties that cause that landslide to occur 
and that location. That right? is a great point. And the same so, thing with uh, the Army Bennett Street. So it becomes scalable. You don't have to understand the dirt in all these circumstances, which can be complex. There's a way to monitor and manage through things that we better understand. Exactly. Like LIDAR, topography, right-of-way inspections, and ILO. Okay. Yep. So, look, we have, we, we've hit this. I think the audience gets it. <clears throat> LIDAR and IMU are useful many times over. Why? What's the hesitancy, or, or why don't you see uh, many operators just broadly in, engaging this? I think that I mean that's a great, great question. I think a lot of it is change is hard. Okay. You know, yeah. uh, a lot of the, the focus on geohazards. Um, yeah, we talk about you know 2010, but that's pretty, pretty, pretty recent. recent pipeline right? we agree. program time time frames, and a lot of operators. Uh, haven't had the, the pain of going through one of these these incidents. I can tell you when they do happen, mm -hmm. they are tremendously disruptive to the, the pain drives change. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the environment is also complex, right? Is you need competent people, so there's yep. a human capital component to it, right? Um, the tolerance for failure is ever increasing. Um, natural ESG type complications that we have with you know transition of energy and all that's. It's a lot as well. I mean, I think it's fair to say that, right? Is it's there's only um, so much we could do. So I think what we've done today, though, is we've given a a great bunch of resources, yes, right, for our operators to say if I'm not focused on geohazards, I know that um, I could probably start with landslides. Yep. There's some great documents out there that I could start looking into as a as a reference to start mm -hmm. trying to think about where I need to go or where not. And uh, there's readily accessible tools out there. Right. Yeah, that, for that's, them to that's true. And, and just to be clear, I don't want to give short shrift to like rivers and seismic hazards on the geohazards. Those are very important to you. Um, you know, but kind of in, in terms of if you had to start somewhere, I would start with, with landslides. Yeah. And, and I think you hit on it, right? I think in, there's some new regulation around um, if there's a, a WAF event, the significant one, then you know you're supposed to respond within 72 hours or so. So maybe that's an opportunity to to lean in on some of those type waterways and all those areas that you identify through right-of-way management. Yeah, and, and you know, I think a lot of operators are trying to figure out what that means. You know, what, what, what does it mean you know, if you have a hurricane, a Harvey type event? Mm. You know, how do you realistically inspect all those areas within 72, 72 hours? And so um, there's a lot of interesting things like satellite technologies or, or drone type technologies or other things that might be able to satisfy that, that requirement. But I think a lot of operators are trying to wrestle with what does this really mean? In, in practical terms. I gotta be honest. Um, have you enjoyed today? <laughs> it's, been, it's been pretty good. Yeah, it's been pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that topic in and of itself is probably a whole separate topic. Have we sufficiently entertained you to make you want to come back on and address <laughs> sure. that separately? Sure, let's let's talk about it. You know, I, I want the audience to know I asked those questions in real time. So if Alex would have turned me down, I would have put a real damper <laughs> up on the end of the show. Uh, but you know, I, I wanna I wanna wrap back up on I, I wanna start trying to, to close it up, right? Because you've given some really great guidance today. We talked about the fact that just because you haven't had failures doesn't mean that the potential's not out there. Uh, Inga produced a landslide document, or I'm sorry, a, a, really a geohazard document, a mm -hmm. guidance document that is a great resource for operators. Um, I would definitely encourage you to go seek that out. If you're not looking at IMU and, and LIDAR on some component of your system, you should begin doing that. And if you need help with either of those, I'd say, you know, we like to say on the show, Chris, give us a call, right? If you, you need help with a bending strain program and getting that analysis started, give me a call. If you need help on the looking at your actual pipeline, the dirt, this is the dirt merchant here, Alex. Definitely give the hyphen a call and, and run down that with him. But the point is, is there are resources out there to get help with operators on dealing with that. 
and uh, we would like to encourage him. So, you have any final parting thoughts for the audience? You're going to be back, but I <laughs> yeah, hope you're going to be no, back. No, now you're kind of putting me on the spot here to have to come up with final parting thoughts. But uh, you don't have to. You, the parting, sh- you can be a parting shot at Christopher uh, as well if you would like. No, I, th- I think the you know takeaway is it is a manageable hazard. It is something that the the technology has has evolved greatly. The um, there's expertise that's out there. It's something that it's it's a lot better to get it done ahead of time, a lot cheaper, a lot less stress. Um, you know, because it seems like usually these events happen like the Thursday of Thanksgiving, right as you're about to carve oh, the, the turkey, the you get that phone call and about says, well, we've had an incident, treatment. you know. Oh, nobody okay. nobody wants to get that phone call, right? <laughs> Land, uh, yeah, let's face it, pipeline failures happen on holidays. Yep. All right, so we're going to wrap it up on that point. Uh, again, I want if you were here today, thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Um, you know, again, this is the podcast for pipeliners, everybody you know, my mom especially. Hopefully, Alex's mom is listening. If she is, I'm sorry he called you a hippie. I don't think you meant anything <laughs> bad by it. And uh, we will see you the Wednesday after next. I am your host, Thing 20, Thing 20 Fun, and the dirt merchant, Alex McKenzie Johnson. <laughs>